This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship the Lord our God. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by God actions are weighted. The bows of the mighty are broken but the feeble gird on strength. Holy God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we know that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. In this hour, open our hearts to praise You and to thank You for Your generous mercies to us. Gracious source of our being, we praise You and thank You for even the breath of life given to us. Fill our hearts with your presence, that our mouths may proclaim your praise. Good morning, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered in the sanctuary and also those of us worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the house of the Lord. We are ever mindful when we extend that word of welcome that we extend it on behalf of none other than Jesus Christ. And because our word of welcome is extended in the name of Jesus Christ, it means there are no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, and in his name we greet one another. We do ask that you might join us for a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service, which will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to the right side of the sanctuary, my right side, and down a short ramp there you will find uh, refreshments have been prepared, but most importantly the opportunity for us to gather together in fellowship. I do remind everyone that we are under a mask mandate in Philadelphia, so we ask worshipers to remain masked. Your worship leaders will remove them while we are speaking in order to aid with those who are hard of hearing. I'd like to highlight a few things from the back portion of your bulletin, a couple of things that are in your pew rack today. So let me note that in our ongoing effort to reduce paper waste at the church, we have 
laminated cards that have our service music on them. They are now in your pew rack. Much of this is familiar music to those of you who worship here every week already, but just grab your pew card and have it with your bulletin and you'll have all the music you need as well. We also have multiple opportunities to give online, and there is a QR code that is also in the pew rack that enables you to make an offering during the time of the offering. Presently, we are not passing the plates because of COVID protocols, so you're, of course, welcome to make your offering at the conclusion of the service, or if you want to try something new, scan a QR code and take it from there. I'd like to note that we will be scheduling a new members class sometime in the fairly near future. And if you, whether you have worshipped with us for a long time or a short time, if you feel called to unite with us in ministry here at First Church, we would love to welcome you. And that does include our online worshiping community. We have members of this church who joined last year who had never yet stepped foot in the sanctuary. And we understand that we are in a brave new world where there are different ways of belonging and different ways of being together. So we would welcome you as well. That class will be held uh, by way of Zoom. Next Sunday is our annual campaign Commitment Sunday. And you should have received by now your annual campaign packet. If you have not received a packet and you want to receive one, please do let us know in the church office so that we can make sure we give you that. And we'll hear more about that in just a minute from Fraz Thomas. I note as well that the last installment of our adult Christian education, A Century of Ethics, will take place this Wednesday at 5 o'clock. You do need to sign up for that if you wish to attend it. And you'll note as well an announcement in the bulletin about Manna's fundraiser pie in the sky. We have a team. We have numerous people who would be happy to take your order for a pie, and you would be helping a fabulous organization here in Philadelphia. I commend everything else to your attention and, as always, remind you of our church website as an opportunity to learn more about our goings-on here at First Church. At this point in our service, I'd like to call on Fraz Thomas with a minute for stewardship. I first started coming to First Presbyterian when I was in law school, which meant that technically I had no income. This produced a very particular kind of anxiety every time the offering plate got passed around. Any percent of zero is still zero after all, so under any available heuristic, it seemed like I didn't need to give anything at all. But given the pretty fake sort of poverty I was experiencing, this always felt more like an accounting trick than anything else. So I compromised. I couldn't figure out a good answer, so I just gave nothing, but made sure to feel really awkward about it. One Sunday, though, I sat in my pew and reflected back on the night before, and all the money I spent then, including when, in a fit of spontaneous generosity, I bought a round of drinks for all my friends. Now, I really didn't have any money, so I was mostly regretting this, but then I started thinking about things from the other direction. How much worse off would I be if one more person had snuck in on my tab? Was my budget really so tight that I would be sweating the cost of one more beer? So that day, when the plate came around, I threw in a five. I bought a drink for Jesus. I made that my habit for the rest of school, and it made me feel a lot better. Not only because I finally felt like I could look the ushers in the eye, but because, even from the most selfish perspective, I was easily getting that much out of church. If I went to a free concert with an act anywhere near as good as our choir and saw a give-what-you-want box, of course I'd put something in. So why wouldn't I do that here? As I've gotten older and my income has grown to the point where, can I th- where I can think more deliberately about my giving, I still find it helpful to think about what it means to buy a drink for Jesus. Because I'm the kind of person who obsesses over maximizing the utility of my charitable giving. Before I give to an organization, I have to be sure that it will use every marginal dollar I give as efficiently as possible to help the poor. In practice, this means I donate almost exclusively to places that do nothing but donate malaria nets or cash to communities in the developing world. I don't give to my undergrad anymore, or museums, or the arts. It's pretty monotonous, but giving anywhere else just makes me think of how the money could be better spent. 
It's easy sometimes to put church in that bucket, to feel like every dollar I give to this church is a dollar I'm snatching away from the truly needy. And that's when it's helpful again to think about what I was doing on Saturday night when it comes time to give on Sunday morning. Because it's not like I'm rolling around in sackcloth and ashes when it comes to my personal life. I only break out this hard-nosed calculus when it's time to give my money away. It reminds me that I'm not the first clever idiot to point out that money spent to honor God could be better spent on the poor. The truth is, there's no utilitarian case for church. What we do here makes no sense. It's foolishness. If you want to help people, you can give to charity. If you love music, you can go to the symphony. If you want friends, you can go to brunch. So why do we come here? I come here because it's a place I can sit in the midst of a broken world and be still and remember that I am forgiven and that I am loved. A sheep of his own fold, a lamb of his own flock, a sinner of his own redeeming. And it's a place where I can engage in the only natural response to that knowledge, which is to worship God. I need that. And that's why I give. So that First Church can remain a place where you and I and those who come after us can continue to proclaim that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So when it comes time to make your commitment this year, think about what it means to you to buy a drink for Jesus. I promise you he's good for it. Thank you. Thank you, Fraz. Let us continue our worship with the confession of sin. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ even prays for us. With such assurance, we do not need to fear confession, but simply draw near to our Maker, in candor, first together, and then in silence. Let us pray. Holy God, you created this world and all that is in it. You placed us here to be stewards. We should be able to recognize the boundless potential in all you have made. But too often, we see as mundane that which is remarkable. Too often, we see as scarce that which is abundant. Too often, we consider as negligible that which is very important. Forgive us, we pray. Restore within us the capacity for awareness. Teach us to see the beauty of what you have crafted. Remind us always to rejoice in you. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and for his sake. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our iniquities from us. Beloved in Christ, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
First letter, first lesson is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter, beginning at the 11th verse and continuing through the 25th. Listen for the word of God to us this day. And every priest stands after the day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them in those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have the confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. May God bless to our hearing and our understanding this reading of God's holy word. Our second lesson this morning is from the first book of Samuel, reading from the first chapter. 
Listen for the account of Hannah praying at the temple. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. Our third lesson is from the Gospel of Mark, at chapter 13. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware, no one leads you astray. 
Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead you astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Loving God, may the words that we consider today, words passed down to us, written for us, read for us, interpreted for us, may they be our guide as we seek to understand your will and intention for our lives by the power of the Spirit that moves among us. Amen. Enter the door, as if the floor within were gold, all of jewels of wealth untold, as if the choir in robes of fire were singing here. Nor shout, nor rush, but hush. For God is here. I read this little poem every Sunday as I was growing up when I came to church here. It was printed on a little card in the racks in the pews that you have in front of you. And I'm quite sure I couldn't have articulated it as a child, but I think I was captivated by the rhymes that came inside the lines and the unusual rhythm of this little poem. But as a child, mostly it filled me with wonder about the sacredness of this place. A place set apart for me to know God was here. It instilled in me a sense of reverence for coming into the sanctuary, to sit in silence in the moments before the service began, to conjure images of bejeweled floors and a fire-robed choir. Yes, reverence and wonder. And I think it took me years of growing up to realize that I could, in fact, experience God outside of this place that I learned to call God's house, and outside of things that represented splendor. Eventually, I learned not only to see God's hand in the wonders of nature, but also in the messiness of life as well and to know God's presence in spaces and times that had nothing to do with church. So it took me 
even more years to realize that I could be in relationship with God outside of my own tradition as well. That I could find God's presence in the chanting of Hindu mantras and Islamic nasheeds. That God wasn't limited to correct practice or even time-honored theology. That my understanding of the divine was most certainly enriched by coming to see how unlimited God was, without boundaries, living and pulsing in the hearts of people who didn't even call God by name, by the name I knew or even by any name. This wonder became a mainstay in my life. In, in my faith journey. Wonder, a thing that at its best is curious and nourishing, and at its most difficult is filled with doubt and hesitation. But that little pew card poem that filled me with wonder for this space I think I owe it more gratitude than I ever realized for setting a course for me of seeking some vibrant, living vision of the divine. So close that I had to hush in reverence for its presence. Valerie Cower the sick, S-I-K-H, the sick activist and faith leader who is the leader of the Revolutionary Love Project, in her recent book, See No Stranger, she says that wonder is the wellspring for love. And that faith leaders through the ages from Abraham opening the doors of his tent and Jesus sitting at table with outcasts to Buddha's call to unending compassion and Muhammad's plea to take in the orphaned, that they have taught us to encounter the stranger in our lives with a sense of wonder, she repeats to herself when she encounters the stranger, someone who invokes that hesitance, even repulsion at their worldview, their lack of concern for the public good or what might make us all a stronger democracy. She repeats to herself, they are the part of me that I don't yet know. And I can't fully love myself without holding the stranger, the one unknown to me, with a sense of wonder. They are the part of me that I don't yet know. Surely, when wonder is awakened, so is a connection to the most intimate ways that we identify ourselves and our relationship to one another. And ultimately, to our relationship with the divine. And isn't this what Hannah, in our reading from today, is just trying to figure out. Hannah is trying to figure out who she is and what meaning there is for her when she isn't having a child. What is God's plan for her? And so, she enters into a deep relationship of prayer 
with her maker. She pours out her soul to the Lord. She wants to be seen and heard and remembered. She wants to be known. So, things I find difficult on the surface about the story of Hannah. There's a woman's worth being measured by her ability to have a child. She's favored by God who hears her petition and granted a child. Wouldn't this be a wonderful story if she had not been granted the child but had realized her worth was in being a devoted servant of God without having to be measured by society for her worth in this way. Also, she prays so fervently to the extent that Eli thinks she's drunk. The second man in the story not to understand her pain. Eli doesn't open himself up to wonder about this prayer connection that he's witnessing. It must be so different from what he's seen before. The womanist theologian, Dr. Will Gaffney, she calls Hannah the theological revolutionary who taught the priesthood how to pray. What a great image. Eli doesn't even recognize this as prayer. So connected it is. And she's doing what we talk about prayer doing so often. She comes into relationship with God through her prayer. She is filled with something. And then she's able to eat and drink where she wasn't before. The story can so easily be read on this surface level of she prayed for what she wanted and she got it. God answered her prayer. It almost strips us of the beauty of just the prayer being the vehicle for that deep peace and inner shalom, the wholeness that comes with prayer alone and communion with God alone. But all that aside, we don't read stories like this at the surface level. We read them for a more inclusive meaning. And here we see this recurrent theme from our scriptures of the opened womb, a birthing, the birth pangs, as Jesus calls them. And as so many other themes in the Bible we have to find this story at a deeper level than the answered prayer for a child. Perhaps this opened womb is symbolic of this woman finding her identity and her purpose when she puts relationship with God at the center and centers her priorities on that. And she gives birth to a baby boy, Samuel, whose name means heard by God. And she sings in prayer a song which becomes a guiding platform for what is about to happen in Israel. Because Israel is about to take on its first official king, Saul, then David, then Solomon, then the temple, 
in a long line of kings, good and bad, and then the second temple, which Jesus speaks about in the reading from Mark today. But Hannah centers us in her song. We read some of those words in our opening sentences. And she sings to us about how a good king should lead on the priorities that are essential, foundational, when we center ourselves in God's model of love. And it's a theme we know so well because her song becomes Mary's Magnificat, and it becomes the teaching of Jesus himself The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. That God raises the poor and tends to those who are marginalized and oppressed. Out of her pain comes this revolutionary song, this new birth, new life, hope in God's model of leadership. So at this deeper level of this story, it is about the birth pangs of a revolutionary love. That in trying to find our identity, our purpose, our worth, we find that God has already found our worth. And in our devotion to God's will, our centering ourselves in God, focusing our priorities on God's intention for justice in the world, we open ourselves to a sense of wonder about the other. Her opened womb is symbolic of her finding her identity in God's intention for justice. And she sings her song to the world and to generations to come. She births hope that lies in our responsibility to hold our leadership accountable to God's model of justice, a justice centered in revolutionary love. Hannah created a connection to the divine for herself. And the space where she did that and the routine was an important part of that. Our temple, our church, our sacred space, whatever it is, is an important part of this connection. Jesus envisions the fall of the temple and the rising of nation against nation and says these are the birth pangs. But the birth pangs of what? Is it the birth pangs of wonder? Jesus leads us to the imaginings of the birth birth pangs of a place where nation will not rise against nation. He paves the way for us to understand that it is only at the intersection of all nations, all traditions, all ways of thinking and knowing and believing and wondering that ultimate love, revolutionary love, is born. And so when we enter the door of this church, 
whether physically or virtually, it is critical that we nurture that wonder here about our own tradition, about its place among all the traditions of the world, because we are called to birth wonder from the splendor of these walls to the simplest of interactions with the one we meet on the street. So I invite you, I urge you to enter this door as if the floor within were gold. All of jewels of wealth untold. As if the choir in robes of fire were singing here. Nor shout, nor rush, but hush. For God is here. Let us pray. Loving and all gracious God, may we find ourselves in you and you in us. A connection that opens our hearts to a wonder filled love that sees no stranger. And may we know your presence always in our love of ourselves and of one another. Amen.
And now, with the faithful through the ages, let us confess our faith. What do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Before we move to the offering, I must correct an unintentional omission from earlier, which is to extend a very warm welcome to the Reverend Margaret Somerville, our preacher for the day. The occupational hazard of trying to do announcements from memory is that it becomes increasingly sieve-like as I grow older. But we are so grateful for your presence today, Margaret, and for your gracious and challenging word to us. Thank you for being with us. Margaret is well known to many of you as a daughter of this congregation, but is also a well-loved teacher of languages and a leader in the interfaith dialogue here in Philadelphia. So, Margaret, thank you so much for being with us today. Remembering that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God, let us return to God the gifts of what we have taken from God's abundance, the prayers of our hearts, as our morning offering, remembering that whether we make our gifts online or following the service, God loves a cheerful giver.
Let us unite our hearts and our minds in prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, who created the heavens and the earth, who called us into being, you have made us in your image and created us good. You have gifted us with all that we have, indeed all that we need. And so from that abundance, we return our offerings to you, asking as always that you would bless them and use them, that we might see your kingdom at work among us through Christ our Lord in whose name we also offer the prayers of our hearts. You have called us to commit ourselves in our living to you, to commit ourselves to share the joys and burdens of the world, and so it is we offer our prayers, knowing that they are wanted and knowing they will be heard. And so we offer prayers for the whole world. We pray for peace wherever there is war, But more than that, we pray that you will make us peaceful people, that our actions may breed reconciliation with others. Make us peaceful people, that the world's leaders will seek to go where we have led. Bring justice, and in justice, bring reconciliation. We pray not only for ourselves, but for the whole of creation, for the birds and insects of the air, to the beasts of the field, to the fish of the sea. And where we have despoiled your creation, we pray that you would give us the grace of repentance and turn us to ways that would uphold what you have created as good. We pray for our local community. As the season turns and we draw closer to winter, may we be ever aware of the needs of those around us. May we never turn a blind eye or a hard heart to the needs of our community. Push us merciful God, to generous action. For those who will suffer in winter's cold, we ask your mercy. And as we near the holiday season, we remember those whose cupboards are not generously stocked, as well as those who will experience loneliness in the middle of festivity. We ask your divine companionship. We pray, merciful God, for the Church, for the Church Universal, the Presbyterian Church, and for our beloved First Church. We ask your guidance, your loving hand, and your gracious spirit, that we might indeed be a light to all nations, that we may always be a place of joyful and warm homecoming, and a welcoming host for strangers. May we be the people you have called us to be. And so to that end, we pray finally for ourselves, for any among us who suffer disease or mental illness, addiction, depression, loneliness, for those whose memory fails them, for needs known only to you, we pray your mercy, asking that you would make us a community of faith that bears the burdens and shares our joys, even as you have called us to do. These and all of our prayers we make in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
forth from these doors filled with wonder that you might see no stranger, but instead might see the part of you that you don't yet know. And may this lead us to live the revolutionary love that Jesus taught us. And may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and forevermore. Amen.